It is January 1st. One of the things I love about our calendar is that in every year, there is a January 1st and a December 31st, right? There's a beginning and an end. God made cycles for us in this world that are great. There are years, there are seasons, there are days. And um, the, the writers of Scripture recognize that. In the Psalms, it, it, one of the Psalms says, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. This sense that early in the morning, late at night, praise God. The writer of Ecclesiastes says, there's a time to be born and a time to die. There's a time to plant and a time for harvest. Um, we have these seasons built into us. We recognize there's a time to dream. And then there's a time to plan. And then there's a time to execute. And then there's a time to evaluate afterwards, to make sense of all that. We, we have these cycles that exist for us. New Year's Eve and New Year's Day is a great thing if you're a kid, right? When you're a kid, you think, you know what, New Year's Eve, this is the one opportunity I get to be sanctioned by mom and dad to stay up past midnight. It's the greatest thing in the world. And so you sit up, you watch movies, you do all the stuff, you turn on the TV, and you see um, Ryan Seacrest, right? And all of those famous people freezing out in the cold, uh, doing crazy stuff. And, and that's a pretty cool thing as a kid. But if you're not a kid and you've been around for a while, it gets to be about 10.30 on New Year's Eve, and you think, oh, oh, I'm going to bed. You know, and you wake up the next morning and you're in the same bed, in the same house, with the same family, with the same job, with the same set of stuff, and you think, there's not really anything any different except now I've got to remember to put 2017 on everything that I date, right? I've got to remember to do that, not um, whatever year pops to mind at that point in time. The new year begins with this sense of cheers and anticipation. Uh, we think about what's going to happen in this new year. Maybe this will be the year that I get straight A's for the first time. Maybe this is the year that I'll make some new friends. Maybe this will be the year I get that job. Maybe this is the year that my family will go to Disney World. Maybe this will be the year the Big Ten wins some bowl games. Um, you know, you never know. We're almost 11 hours, maybe a little bit more than 11 hours into 2017. And whether you're young or old, whether you're an optimist or a pessimist, I want you this morning to just kind of put on your dreamer hat and to look at this new year with hope. We start a new series today called A New Hope. And it, it focuses today on this new year, but in the coming weeks, it's going to lead us into the most revolutionary teaching of Jesus' ministry, stuff that was radical that Jesus taught, a new hope that's coming. Whether you're a fully devoted follower of Jesus or not, you recognize that hope is critical for our world, right? We, as we approach middle age, whatever we start thinking about retirement, the chance that we have to sit in the Adirondack chairs, maybe to play golf like Ron Reed all the time, right? And to just let it fly. You can tell I don't golf much. Um, we, we hope for retirement, right? If you're a sports fan... 
a fan of the Tigers, you think, you know what? This year, this year, the Tigers in the World Series. Or maybe this year, the Tigers in the playoffs. Maybe this year, the Tigers a winning record, right? We, we have that hope that spring's eternal, especially with spring training. Maybe, maybe you think this is the year that we'll have that little guy. Or maybe if there is a newborn in your home that you think, you know what, that, that baby is, is kind of the epitome of hope, fresh life for us. Maybe your hope is in a relationship and you think, oh, you know what, if I can just find that person on eHarmony or Match.com, or whatever it is, maybe that'll happen. In Greece, in the city of Corinth, it's a church that's really messed up, and he's given instruction for how they need to live as followers of Jesus. What's it look like to be a follower of Jesus in this city of Corinth? And if you've, if you've got your Bible, if you can kind of scroll forward, if you're not in the app right now, and you look at chapter 5, you'll see that Paul begins talking in 2 Corinthians 5 about all of this stuff that's going on, that, that we live in these physical bodies, but these physical bodies are not the end for us, that we have a heavenly body that God is preparing for us, a heavenly place that God's preparing for us, and that one day we're all going to stand before Jesus. We're going to stand before Jesus, and, and um, he'll take inventory of our lives, and we need to be ready for that. Paul says in the, in the midst of 2 Corinthians 5, he says, man, you've got to let people know that there's going to be a time of judgment. You've got to let people know who Jesus is. Uh, as Paul writes about the realities of heaven and earth, about the, that idea that we will stand before Jesus, that there's a reason why everybody needs to know him, he comes down to this verse that I think is so relevant for us on January 1st. 2017. It's verse 17 of chapter 5. Paul writes these words that are a new hope. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you've got it, let's go ahead and just read that together. Just that one verse again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. One more time. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you want 2017 to be a truly new year, to be a year that's different than 2016 or 2015 or 2010 or 1998, it won't be because of resolutions. It won't be because of a planning retreat. It won't be because of a job change or a new baby or a new relationship. It will only happen because you are in Christ. In Christ. In Christ. It's interesting, when, when I got looking at 2 Corinthians 5.17, I thought, you know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say this. If anyone is in church, he's a new creation. If anybody gets control of their addiction, he's a new creation. If anyone joins a life group or serves in the community, he's a new creation. If anyone does all kinds of good works on earth, he's a new creation. If anyone says a prayer for his friend or forgives somebody who's really, really hurt them, they're a new creation. 
It doesn't say if anybody has a great set of New Year's resolutions, they're a new creation. It says if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. What's it mean to be in Christ? What's it look like to be in Christ? Let me just ask a question. What's it mean to be in the water? It means to be surrounded by the water, right? You've got water all around you, above you, below you, all around you, that you're living in the midst of that water. In Christ describes a person's proximity, their closeness to Jesus, their affinity, their heart for him, their identity, who they are in Christ, their mindset, the way that we think. We need to be in Christ to experience that new hope. Being in Christ means that we have an exclusive kind of relationship with him, that we believe that Jesus is who he said he is, that when Jesus said he's the son of God, that he's the savior of the world, that we agree with that, that we mentally get there and we say, yeah, that's true. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Being in Christ means that we understand that he has a no-compete clause in, the, in our relationship. We believe. It's the way that we think. Our, our belief in Jesus is the default position for the way that we start every day, the way that we start every conversation, the way that we start every confrontation that we have. We believe in Jesus. That's the foundation. With with every time your brain reboots, we say along with the Apostle Peter at Caesarea Philippi, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, God's Son, my Savior. I believe, I believe in Jesus. Being in Christ means that you agree with God about sin. That what God calls sin, you call sin as well. That we don't rationalize, that we don't create any kind of alternate reality, that we don't see how close we can get to the line without crossing it. We call sin what it is, what God calls it, and we choose not to pursue it. That's what it means to be in Christ. We live out the words of James 4 every day. Resist the devil, resist the devil, and he'll flee from us. Being in Christ means that we repent, that our heart changes, that we're broken by the sin in our life, that we realize that when we sin, when we turn our back on God, it changes the way that we relate to him. It doesn't change Jesus' love for us. It doesn't change his commitment to us, but it changes us and our ability to relate to him. The sin gets in the way. The sin creates this obstacle with us. The sin uh, limits our ability to be in his presence. It limits our ability to look Jesus in the eye. It limits our ability to spend time with him. Being in Christ means that we publicly choose Jesus. No matter what, that we choose to take the side of Jesus. We choose to wear the colors of Jesus wherever we go. How do, how do we do that? How do we publicly do that? Is it just a matter of, of throwing in some Jesus jargon here or there? Um, it, starts, it starts with this idea that the Bible calls baptism. It, it starts with publicly declaring to your family and your friends, to the world and to Satan, I choose Jesus. 
Isn't it enough to just believe in Jesus, to repent, to give control of my life to Jesus? Do I really need to be immersed and to take that public kind of stand, uh, you know, going down in the water as a marker for my life in Christ? You know, I don't know, but here's what I know Scripture teaches. Jesus was baptized to fulfill all righteousness, and he didn't need to be because he was perfect. Jesus commanded his disciples to make other disciples and to baptize them as they taught them. Uh, Peter, on the day of Pentecost, was asked by thousands of people that realized that they were responsible for killing the Messiah. What do we do? Peter's response to that, they said, what do we do to be saved? Peter said, repent and be baptized so that your sins can be forgiven and the Holy Spirit can live in you. Paul had this supernatural interaction with Jesus on the road to Damascus where he's blinded. He's taken into the city. And, and there he's told what? He's, get up and be baptized so that your sins can be washed away. Making that public decision to follow Jesus is a really big deal. Lots of times people who have been baptized as a baby will ask if they need to be baptized again. The question that I always ask when I'm in a conversation is, that, is, is this. Is, was that a decision that you made to be baptized or is that a decision that someone else made for you? Because as we read scripture, baptism is a choice. It's a decision that we make personally to say, I choose Jesus. No one else can do that for, for you. God designed us with this need for marker dates in our lives. Dates that we can plant uh, the flag in the sand. On December 16th, 1978, I took Deborah Ellis out to see The Wiz um, in Cincinnati, Ohio. And that was our first date. That date changed our relationship. On December 16th, 1980, I asked Deb to marry me. The date that we became engaged and publicly said, we're going to spend the rest of our lives together. On August 30th, 1981, we got married and in front of hundreds of our families and family and friends said, this is the person that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. We need the public um, affirmation of our commitment, of where our allegiance will be. We need that. We need to go public and let people know that we will follow Jesus no matter what. That's part of what it means to be in Christ. Being in Christ means that you give him full access into every nook and cranny of your life. What you do at school, at work, in the car, at home, on your computer, what you watch, what you read, what you think, where you go, who you go with. Being in Christ means that you give him full access to the dark secrets of your life, to the things that you hide and that you want to stay hidden. There's a great little uh, piece that was written about 65 years ago by a guy named Robert Boyd Munger called My Heart, Christ's Home. Munger writes about inviting Jesus into his heart, and he writes about it with imagery that describes his heart as a, as a house with different rooms. And he talks about inviting Jesus into his living room first and sitting down and talking with Jesus and being uncomfortable with the stuff that's in his living room and asking Jesus to help clean up that room. And Jesus says, you know what, this is what you need to do. You need to get rid of this. You know, if, if, if you could 
put up a picture of me so that you could think of me every time you're in the living room. Dad, help. And Munger goes on to describe each room in his house and the conversation that he has with Jesus. He goes from the living room to the dining room to the rec room to, the, uh, to his workshop. And with each conversation, he gives Jesus access to transform and remodel that room so that Jesus is comfortable in the, in the house. When he's gone through every room of the house, Jesus says to him, you know, there's this smell. That there's, I think there's one room I've not been in. And Munger says, no, you've been every place. And Jesus says, no, I, I can smell something rotting. And Munger says, well, there is this closet upstairs that I keep locked. And Jesus says, I can't really stay in the house if I can't have access to the closet. Munger says, you don't want to go there. It's full of bad stuff. Jesus says, I can't stay here if I can't get into that closet. Ultimately, Munger unlocks the door to that hall closet, and it's full of rotting garbage, stuff that's piled up, stuff that Munger has kept hidden that he doesn't want anyone to see, let alone Jesus. But he asks Jesus to clean that. And in an instant, Jesus takes that garbage out, repaints the closet, and makes it, makes it usable again for the first time. Uh, in the closing of Munger's story, he comes to the realization that Jesus has cleaned everything and made it beautiful. But Munger recognizes that there is no way that he on his own power can keep it that way. He says, I'm so tired and weary trying to maintain a clean heart and obedient life. I'm just not up to it. So he ventured a question, Lord, is there any chance that you would take over the responsibility of the whole house and that you would operate it for me and with me, just as you did that closet that you just cleaned? Would you take responsibility to keep my heart what it ought to be and my life where it ought to be? Jesus responds by saying, I'm not the owner of the house. I'm just a guest. I don't have authority to take control over the entire house. And Munger asks him if he could sign the title of his heart, the title of his home over to Jesus so that it can all be Jesus, so that he can have authority over every room. That's what it means to be in Christ. Paul says if anyone's in Christ, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. When we're in Christ, hope is the natural result of that relationship. Paul wrote to the church in Colossians and said, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. If Christ in his, is in us, we experience the hope of glory. If you want new hope in this new year, you've got to be in Christ. You've got to get rid of the old. You've got to embrace the new. How do you do that? Once you've given your life to Jesus, once you've believed in him, you've recognized sin, you've repented, you've committed your life to him, you've uh, taken all those steps to publicly embrace him, how do you live that new life? 
Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul uses a phrase later in his letter to the, to the Corinthians that helps us figure out how to embrace that new hope. He says that we need to take captive every thought to obey Christ. What's it, what's it look like to be in Christ? How do we get there? It's a battle of our thoughts. It's a battle of the way that we think. Hope in this new year is about more than a list of resolutions. Resolutions aren't bad, but without the power of Christ, they're going to fall flat. With the power of Jesus, with Christ in us and us in Christ, there's incredible hope for the new year. There are a whole bunch of resolutions that are common to people. After a while, when you make those resolutions and fail to keep them, it gets easy to just chuck the whole idea and to live 2017 the exact same way that you've lived 2016 and every other year. Don't do it. Don't give up. Don't believe that you can't change. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. I want to challenge you to think about five areas this morning that you can have new hope in in 2017. They're not revolutionary. They're, they're, uh, they, they mirror often people's resolutions, but in Christ there can be new hope in these areas. The first is this, to have new hope in a new temple, in this physical body that we live in. I want to encourage you to think about 2017, to take care of your body in a way that you never have before. Paul said, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. I don't know what that looks like for everybody. It's different. It may be, it may be what foods you eat. It may be the volume of food that you eat. It may be um, getting exercise, you know, that, that that's something that, that has fallen off for you. It may be uh, the sleep for you. It may be being committed to getting the sleep that you need. But, but know this, these structures that we live in are not indestructible. The Holy Spirit lives inside us and we need to take care of them. There is hope for change in you, in your body. Don't believe that it can't change if you're in Christ. There's hope for a new approach to life financially for you. We talked in November about th this whole idea that, that we are stewards of what God has given us, all of the resources that God has given us. We need to accept that, embrace that, and to use that for God's kingdom. I, I want to encourage you in 2017, be a generous giver. Give to the church. Give to the kingdom. Give to people in your life who are in need. I want to encourage you today to, to maybe start this year and to, to decide, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do everything I can to tithe, to give 10% of my income to Christ. Because that's, that's a, a model, that's a picture that's there in the Old Testament that can help us get a hold of that. Um, uh, if you were here last Sunday for Christmas, I told just a kind of a quick story. Well, um, a pipe burst in my mom and dad's house uh, about 10 days ago. Their house was flooded, everything's a wreck. And, and so I've spent this last week going through financial records of my mom and dad. 
um, my grandparents, that go back as far as 1930. Can you believe that? Um, uh, and as I've gone through these financial records, tax returns and that kind of stuff, and, and, and processed them, shredded them, gone through the whole deal, it's been really, really interesting to see in the life of my mom and dad their financial priorities. A number of years ago, 1983, 1984, my, my grandfather, my maternal grandfather died, and my grandfather um, gave to my mom, to each of her siblings, a significant amount of money. And I remember vaguely my mom and dad having a conversation and dad saying to mom, you need to keep what came from your dad separate. Have your own separate account. Do that. You can use that for whatever you want because that came from your dad. That's your inheritance. And um, as I went through my, my parents' tax returns, there were two things that struck me incredibly. One was that dad wrote a check every week to the church that was a tithe check. I could see with each year it would grow as his income increased. Incredible, incredible to look at years and years and years with that example. And the thing that I discovered about my mom was uh, virtually all of the money that came from, from her inheritance from her dad, mom reinvested into people and kingdom. Um, every year there's a stack of receipts to ministries around the country and around the world where mom would write a check for $10 or $20 or $50 or $100, whatever, and give to things that mattered for the kingdom. I want to encourage you to be a generous giver in 2017. Um, a number of years ago, I heard a guy speak, and he said this. He said, in America, 85%, 85% of Americans fall into one of two categories. They're either underwater, which means that they're spending more money than they're making, and they're getting more and more in debt every, every month, or they're living paycheck to paycheck. And that they, if, if they were to lose their job, if they were to be in trouble, that they wouldn't have, it, uh, they wouldn't have the financial resources to be able to keep going. It's 85%. So if I look out and I say, okay, 85% of the people who are here, that that's the, that if that is um, the case for us, then it's me saying, oh, I want you to be generous. There's not money to give, right? That, that, that's a struggle. How do, you, how do you do that? At the end of this month, uh, January 22nd, we start a class, uh, a connect group called Financial Peace University, and it's an opportunity for people to get a hold of their finances so that they can be givers and not just living week to week or not being underwater. I want to encourage you to think in terms of your finances with hope for 2017. Um, there's, there's hope in 2017 for a fresh line of communication with God. I want you to think as, as, as you look at 2017, how can, I, how can I have a fresh relationship with God and with Jesus to communicate with Him in a way maybe that I never have before? Maybe it's to study Scripture in a way that you never have before. Maybe it's to pray in a way that you never have before. Maybe it's to fast. Maybe it's to, to be involved in relationships and accountability that can help you connect with God one-on-one -on -one in, a, in a greater way. Um, we've, got a, uh, we've got a connect group that's, that two, actually two connect groups that start at the end of this uh, month as well. One is uh, called Fervent, and it's for women. It's going to be a chance to, to, to learn about how to pray in new ways. I encourage you to take advantage of that, find out more about, at the connect desk about that. Um, we've got another, uh, another connect group that's going to be called Bible What?, it's all about when you read the Bible, how do you make sense of what it says and how do you know that it's true? 
um, that, may be, that may be a place for you to, to get involved as well, to have this fresh line of communication with God. Here's what I know. If I talk to my wife or to people on staff here or to my friends, if I talk to them in the same way at the same time with the same language day after day, week after week, month after month, that relationship is going to fall apart because there's, there's no life to it. We're just saying the same things over and over again, doing it in the exact same way, meeting in the same place. In 2017, there is hope for a fresh relationship with Jesus to develop your line of communication with him in a new way. There's hope in 2017 for a new level of sexual purity as well. It's easy for us to accept society's standards for sexuality, which basically means you've got two consenting people, you can do whatever you want, whenever you want, wherever you want. Because we encounter that everywhere. We read about it in books, magazines. We see it on TV and in movies. We see it in the tabloids at the supermarket. We um, uh, hear about it at school. The courts sanction it. Everything's okay. That's not what God intended. That's not what God designed. I read an article two weeks ago that said the week between Christmas and New Year's is the highest percentage based on a Google study of viewing pornography of any other time in the year. Because there's this sense of time and freedom and, and um, a lack of worth that drives men to images that think that they can provide fulfillment. God's standard is clear. Sexual expression in the context of marriage is the only way that he designed it. Between husband and wife. Run from anything else. There's hope that you can do that being in Christ. We have, we have a group that meets on Thursday nights called Celebrate Recovery. It's all about dealing with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Addiction stuff. It's a great place to go to find freedom from whatever it is in that area that may, that may get a hold of you. There's hope in 2017 for a new level of commitment to kingdom stuff. Maybe for you, maybe for you, it's, it's taking that step of baptism that you've never taken before. Maybe for you, it's committing to the body here at North Point in a way that you never have. We never, I, I don't know in the two and a half years that I've been here that we've ever talked about membership, but I want to talk about it here for a second, not because we need more members at North Point, but because as individuals, we need to make commitments to follow Jesus in a certain place. We need to say to ourselves, this is the place that I belong. This is the place that I'm going to dig my roots in. This is the place where I'm going to live and love and serve and grow. This is the place where I'm going to be accountable to the leadership of the church, and the church is going to be committed to my spiritual development. We need to make those kind of commitments for us so that we can say, yes, I am all in. It may be that your commitment is, is to commit to some act of service, to, to commit to serve in some way. Maybe that's at North Point. Do it in the name of Jesus. Maybe it's in the community in a way that you've never thought of before, that God has something on your heart that, that you're saying, I've got to serve in that way in the name of Jesus. 
You know what? Uh, one of the things I'm doing in 2017 is that I'm reading to five-year-olds at First Now School um, a couple times a month. I'm doing that in the name of Jesus to be able to show to those groups of five-year-olds and to those teachers who Jesus is. A new hope means a fresh start in 2017. It's not simply an act of the will. It's not simply that if we try harder, change will happen. New hope comes from being in Christ. Being in Christ. Paul finishes this section of his letter to the Corinthians with these words. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ, making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. New hope comes from being in Christ. New hope comes from being reconciled to God through Jesus. It is a new year, and there are incredible new opportunities for us to take advantage of. What I want to do to finish the service is just spend some time in prayer. Um, if you would, shut your eyes. I know that that's dangerous on New Year's morning. Um, if you want to go to your knees, feel free to do that. If you want to come down front, feel free to do that. And let's just spend some time praying. Express your desire to God to be in Christ. things that I mentioned about what it looks like to be in Christ, talk to him about any of those things, about, about repentance, about calling sin, sin. Maybe ask for help in believing in Jesus, even for the first time, to believe that he is who he said he is. Talk to him. Invite him into every nook and cranny of your heart. Talk to him about whether you need to make some kind of public affirmation of your faith in Jesus.
as we start this new year, you know, you know what you need to do. The Holy Spirit's working, talking to you now. Maybe, maybe you need to figure out how to have a new line of communication with Jesus. Maybe it's that you need to get control of your body. Maybe you know, you know what that might be. Just ask God to help you in Christ to deal with those areas. Maybe sexual purity. Ask God. Lord, none of the stuff that's on our minds, the things that are on our hearts, none of it can we do on our own. We are not strong enough. We're not disciplined enough. We're not smart enough. We need you. Lord, our deepest desire is that we would that we would be in that he would be in every corner of our minds, in our thoughts, in our heart, in our actions, that we would have trust in him, in his leadership. God, that we would find hope in this new year, that we wouldn't just go through the motions of a new date on a check, a new date in our notes, but there would be hope for a freshness in our relationship with you, in our relationship with others, in our relationship with the world around us, because we are in Christ. God, get rid of the old. Clean it up. Throw it away. Fill us with the new. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing.